this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. I'm excited that there's a number of new faces here this morning. We're glad that you're here. Um, If you haven't been with us, we've been walking through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount uh, for like the last six months. And two weeks ago, I concluded uh, the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount as we wrapped up. We we made our way all the way through Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we finished. And last week, Adam... Uh, shared a phenomenal message on the glory and goodness of God that may be one of the best messages I've ever heard preached from this pulpit. And so if you guys have, uh, I would encourage you, if you guys were not here last week, if you didn't get a chance to catch that, uh, we are on YouTube. um, And I'm saying YouTube first before our podcast, because I know Adam worked really hard on a uh, what do you call it? A slide grid chart. They're called charts. And it's in the video from last week. And so would encourage you guys, if you didn't catch last week's message, jump back and listen to it uh, because it was really good and it was really challenging. And we're fortunate to have uh, a Bible teacher like Adam here that really brings the word of the Lord. Um, and so thank you, man. Really appreciate it. But like I said, last uh, two weeks ago, so not last week because Adam taught last week, I concluded Matthew chapter 7. We, we kind of put a stamp at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where we've been for like the last six months. And it ends in Matthew chapter 7 with this very sober warning, right, uh, where Jesus kind of issues this parable of a wise builder and a foolish builder. The wise builder being the one that hears the words of Jesus and then actually does what Jesus says. And the foolish one is the one that hears the words of Jesus but doesn't do what Jesus says. And a storm comes, it hits both houses equally, and one house crumbles and falls. And Jesus says, that man is a fool who listens to my words but doesn't act upon them. Right? Uh, The one who hears the words of Jesus but neglects to follow through uh, to actually do what Jesus is saying. And so this is something that is got to be reiterated and it'll lead into what we're teaching to today. But good intentions are not enough. Someone here needs to know that this morning, that your good intentions in serving God don't actually equate to serving God. I don't know how many of you guys have encountered this, but um, I had a friend growing up. His name was Abram, and I'd go over to his house all the time. And I remember his mom would always get on him for, have you done the dishes yet? Or have you done the laundry yet? Or or these things. And he would always respond with almost. And I was like, that's not a good answer for doing the laundry or doing the dishes. Like your mom asked you like a very like simple question. Like how can you almost start the dishes? How can you almost start the laundry? It just didn't connect with me. It's either you did or you didn't. And in reality, the same is true when it comes to following Jesus. 
we, we walked through and we looked a number of weeks ago that Jesus does care about our works. He does care about what we actually do with what he instructs us. Um, and it's not just a matter of, well, I thought about it and it sounded good. He's actually interested in, are you living out this Sermon on the Mount? Are you living out the things that Jesus instructed you to live out? Because that's a mark of an inward change. And so I, I want to be, again, that good intentions are not enough. You know that Jesus knows your heart. Like people use that as kind of a... They use that as kind of like a scapegoat. Like, well, Jesus knows what I mean. He knows what's in my heart. Even if I don't actually do it, he knows what's there. Yes, Jesus knows what's in your heart. And he knows that it's deceitfully wicked. And that should scare you that Jesus knows what's in your heart. Because I know what's in my heart. And it's not good most of the time, if I'm being honest. Right? Uh, That should startle us. It's not a good excuse to not do what God has asked us to do. Um, I just, I want to be very clear about that. Jesus is very much concerned with our follow through. And I'll make this quick statement because on the converse, Jesus very much cares about the motivation behind you doing what you do. I'm not just telling you to try to earn your salvation or just do it to do it because that's right. But the, the fact of the matter still stands. We have a lot of people sitting in pews, coming to churches that have good intentions of following Jesus. They say, you know, it would be nice if I prayed. It would be nice if I told people about Jesus. It would be nice if I was faithful and giving. It would be nice if I did these things that Jesus expects of me. But he knows I'm only human, right? He knows that I'm still working through this. And we live in this kind of continual perpetual cycle of just, I don't know, like Christian laziness and not actually getting anything accomplished for the kingdom. Can I admit something, guys? As a pastor, I get frustrated really easily. And uh, I, the Lord's working on me. But there's only so many different times somebody can come in and sit in my office or I can take a phone call in the middle of the night of some kind of crisis and me give the same advice over and over and over again to the same person over and over and over again for the same problem over and over and over again and not feel defeated and not feel frustrated because I have people whose marriages are falling apart, their lives are kind of crumbling, they, they have these issues and they want a different answer from me on how to see things change than I give every single time. Uh, And it it grows weary. It grows discouraging as a pastor to continually try to hold people's hands and walk them down this uh, journey of following Jesus. And it's like they want an easier button to press, and there's not one. Friends, if I'm being honest, when it comes to following Jesus and succeeding in this Christian walk, there are some basic things that have to be present in your life if you're going to see fruit generate and Jesus glorified. You know, people get frustrated with me that I tell them, you know, you really want to see growth. You really want to see spiritual maturity. You need to go to church. Okay, yeah, everybody, all the religious antennas just went off. It's like, that's 
religious, <laughs> you know, like it cries out like that's legalistic. Oh, you just want people in your church so you can put money in the offering plate. But the reality is God created the church for a very specific reason. And I have not seen a single person succeed in kind of the lone wolf mentality of following Jesus. We were designed to do this together as a family. The family of God has been an institute that God, that God loves, that he established 2,000 years ago, and it's still the same. And, and if you really want to be clear about it, if you're going to grow as a Christian, um, I mean, reading the Bible, praying, going to church, they sound like bigoted, or not bigoted, uh, they sound maybe somewhat legalistic to those of you that have this kind of mindset of, well, I'm spiritual, I just not religious kind of thing. That's that mantra that's been kind of perpetuated. Has anybody heard that? It's like, I'm spiritual, not religious, because some kind of religious has like some kind of weird connotation, like you're going to wear like a, I don't know, like a fancy vest with a big hat or something like that and uh, sensors and whatnot. I'm just being stupid now. The reality of it is... Uh, A lot of the times we try to mask this thing of spirituality in, a, in opposition of religious, <laughs> of being religious. And friends, I believe it's borderline heresy. And I believe it breaks the heart of God when we take something as pivotal as coming to church and reading the Bible and praying these, these basic foundation blocks of our faith and growing in Jesus and try to demean them and disregard their importance because they may not feel super spiritual. They're elementary, but they're necessary if we're ever going to reach maturity in the gospel. I imagine doctors feel kind of somewhat the same way. You know, you've got people that come in and they sit down and they may be overweight and the doctor says, you know, you need to change your diet or you're going to die, right? Imagine how frustrated doctors, maybe they don't get as frustrated because they're making buku bucks. Uh, I don't know, because <laughs> you still have to pay them either way. Um, Wow, that sounds, so many different directions that could go. But reality, like, right? You've got people that come in and they, their, their lifestyle is completely bonkers. And the doctor is like pleading with them, like, you don't understand. You are going to die if something doesn't change. And they walk out the door and do the same thing. Friends, I, I have a friend that literally died, was resuscitated, had a heart transplant, and God like radically moved in his life. Um, and he smoked cigarettes before. And a big aspect of why his health was like just in chaos was because he smoked. And then this crazy event happened. And I mean, it was just nutty, right? Uh, and he's get, he gets a second chance at life. He gets a new heart. <laughs> like literally a, a new heart, a heart transplant. And that's like one of the things that I'm pretty sure like you have to sign something when you get like a like a new heart. Like that's doctor's orders that you're not supposed to uh, trash it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm saying like, but I see him the other day and I run into him and he's smoking cigarettes again. I was like, dude, didn't you just like, weren't you dead like two years ago because of this? And you got a second chance. Like what is going on here? And I can't only imagine how doctors feel listening to and seeing this happen and bringing that full circle. Like how does God feel about us when he says, I told you what to do. 
I've laid it out very simply. I've given you commands. I've told you how to do it. And I'm gracious enough to help you do it. And we say, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll try it later. Imagine how hurtful that is to the Lord. You see, the point is, having the right information, understanding what to do, even agreeing with what Jesus says is not equal to actually doing what he tells us to do. I believe most of us would probably say, yeah, everything that Jesus said is good. Most of us would probably say that. And we'd probably say, yeah, the things he asks us to do, I agree with him. We should be doing those. But in reality, as I examine myself and as you examine yourself, we realize we're probably missing the mark more than we're willing to be honest for in the things that Jesus has asked us to do. So my prayer is that we would commit to being wise with Jesus' words. My prayer is that we would pledge to be like the builder who built his life upon the rock and build it upon the teaching of Jesus actually doing what Jesus asked us to do. And so with that, while we're moving on from the Sermon on the Mount, while we're kind of uh, maybe taking a, a step in a different direction in our teaching, I kind of feel like the, the late night infomercial guy that's like peddling toasters or whatnot that you see. And there's always like an extra gimmick or an extra thing to get you to buy in. But wait, there's more, right? <laughs> there's more uh, to Jesus' instructions, to Jesus' commands for the believer than just what we read in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm actually pretty excited to talk about some of these because there are plenty of commands that Jesus gives, that he issues, that frankly we too lightly treat as suggestions, that we treat as good ideas. And this is not going to be an exhaustive study. We're not going to, I don't think we're going to get into like a six-month-long series on all of these commands of Jesus. But this one hit especially close to home. Adam kind of uh, dropped that uh, in front of you guys. I'm getting ready to go to Kenya. Uh, this next week, we are going to be uh, preaching the gospel where it has not been made known. We have an exciting opportunity to work with a local organization there that has been planning churches in rural villages uh, in Kenya at the base of Kilimanjaro in these unreached villages for the last 11 years. And we're going to go out for two weeks and uh, bring the gospel into villages that has never heard the gospel of Jesus. And it's exciting, and it's fun, it's adventurous, it's all those things. And I'll tell you more about how my heart was arrested to, to go on this trip, because at first I really didn't want to, um, and it's really inconvenient, but uh, Jesus is worth it. So I'm saying this, this kind of hits home today, um, and we're going to look at something uh, called the Great Commission. I'm sure that you guys have heard of it if you've been around church any number of years. If that's new to you, we're going to talk about it today. We're going to look at it, why it is we preach the gospel. Um, and very simply, this is not going to be an exhaustive one morning message because there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of context for us to unpack and unravel. But I'm excited for really just beginning to ask the question, why and how do we preach the gospel? 
Does that make sense? I guess that's two questions. Why do we preach the gospel? How do we preach the gospel? Um, and I'm excited to begin to unpack those. But there's two verses of scripture I wanted to start with. Uh, John 15, 14 and John 14, 15. These are great verses because if you are like dyslexic with numbers, uh, they both say something very, very similar and very familiar. In fact, I made a t-shirt um, a number of years ago for a company called Not of This World. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of that, but it was like a popular like Christian clothing company, probably like 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. I don't know when they stopped being cool. Um, but I designed t-shirts for them and we printed like cool t-shirts. And one of them I had was like, um, love is not afraid to bleed, right? Or what was it? I don't know. Why am I looking at my wife? This was well before I met her. Um, I don't know. It was like some, anyway, I had this verse of scripture in there, but I had mistyped it. And I put John 14, 15 instead of John 15, 14. And thousands of these t-shirts went to print I was like, oh, it's the wrong scripture reference. And I was like, what does that look, what does that say? And I was like, oh, it actually fits. It works just fine. Um, so I didn't have to reprint a bunch of t-shirts. <laughs> Long story short, John 15, 14 says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. That's a pretty like strong stipulation for friendship with God is Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. How many of you guys want to be a friend of God? Woo, do what he says. <laughs> John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or in the New King James, it says, keep my commandments. These are some pretty point blank, kind of no nonsense statements of Jesus that really equate friendship and love of God with obedience. I'm not here just to like kind of beat you up and make you feel bad today. Like you guys are terrible because you don't obey Jesus 100% of the time. Therefore, you don't love him and you're not his friend. But understand a result of intimacy with the Lord, a byproduct of genuinely being in love with Jesus is going to manifest itself in obedience to what he's asked us to do. And so if we can look at the commands of Jesus and see areas of inefficiency in our hearts, if we can see areas where we're not actually following through with the commands of Jesus, that's an indicator that something needs to change. And so, friends, I'm preaching a message to you today um, that the Lord really arrested me with in regards to the Great Commission. Because there is this command that Jesus gives, uh, and actually all four Gospels throughout the narrative of the New Testament, and this a command to preach the Gospel. And I believe it's been neglected for a variety of reasons, some of them halfway decent. I can see where confusion would come in. But I believe there's a misunderstanding of our call as Christians, as those have, have said yes to Jesus. And there's been a kind of a an alienation between our call as Christians and the responsibility of the church and the clergy, not understanding what our role is as followers of Jesus. I believe there's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of offense. Uh, I believe that there's been an inappropriate definition of what the gospel actually is. 
And there's probably 20, 30, 40 other reasons that we could come up with here this morning why this command of Jesus has been so largely neglected in the church today. But none of them stand as an actual like good excuse to not preach the gospel. I, I firmly believe this. If you are uh, professing faith in Jesus that the only reason, the only good reason for you to not preach the gospel is because you're dead. <laughs> and even then, I think uh, we could, anyway, I say this, we have a responsibility, we have a call, we have a command to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. It's very plain, it's very simple. Jesus very much highlights it throughout the entirety of the New Testament. We're going to look at an example from each one of the gospel writers this morning. And I'm excited to do that. But we don't preach the gospel, and I say this, because we read, we read those verses, John 14, 15, and John 15, 14. I believe this, we don't preach the gospel, which we understand to be a command from Jesus, because we don't love Jesus rightly. I say that without, uh, without apology this morning. And I realize you're saying, ouch, you're saying I don't love Jesus because I don't preach the gospel. No, Jesus said that you don't love me if you don't obey my commands. I realize that's harsh. And we think of that like in parenting, like my kids don't always do what I say. Do they not love me? But an aspect of showing genuine love for Jesus comes through and is demonstrated by our obedience to what he asks us to do. So maybe your mind initially jumps to when I say preach the gospel, like the angry guy on the street corner with a megaphone and like a picket sign. We encountered those people. I've encountered those people. Um, that's not what I'm talking about today. Maybe you think of like evangelistic crusades and, you know, packing out stadiums like Billy Graham and, you know, having this really great, like, hypersensitive message where you invite everybody to come down and, you know, they say a prayer, they cry some tears, and they go about. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about preaching the gospel. You may think of, you know, the guy that passes out, like, little comic book tracts and, you know, leaves them as tips instead of actual money for a waiter. That's not preaching the gospel. There's a real bad rap with evangelism in our culture today because evangelism hasn't really been done in a biblical way, if we're being honest. Sharing our faith is not something that we practice a lot lately. It's not something that does take precedent because it is offensive to other people's beliefs. It's offensive to other cultures. And we have this understanding this thought that's being perpetuated within culture at large today that if it's offensive or it infringes upon my rights then it shouldn't happen and too many Christians have bought into that lie of being comfortable in just sitting down and you know I believe what I believe and I have this personal relationship with Jesus I've got this private relationship with Jesus and it's not actually for anybody else which is a travesty, and it is a problem. Matthew 28, 18. And so if you think about all those examples of sharing the gospel that I just shared, that I don't think are all uh, completely flawed. I think there's probably benefit in some aspects of them. But you're saying, no, I'm just like a normal person. 
Friends, the gospel more than ever needs normal people to share it because it is a very abnormal thing. The message of Jesus makes zero sense. Adam and I were talking about this as we were driving to uh, Durango the other day. Like, it is not rational to think that God became a man and died for us so that we could be reconciled to him and that we might be able to live forever with him. Like those, that's, that's craziness when we start thinking about it. And we think about, uh, we think about this criminal that was condemned to death and then rose from the dead like three days later and he's offering us something called eternal life. Like that's crazy and that's bonkers. We don't need more crazy on top of that when we're sharing the gospel with people. Does that make sense? Uh, anyway, let's get to the Bible because the Bible is so much better than listening to me talk. Um, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority. Everybody say all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, this is in response to Jesus having all the authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark 16, 15 goes on and says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will uh, take up serpents. We're going to pass out snakes after this. Uh, no, I'm kidding. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These are promises of God. That's awesome. Uh, Luke, uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke and also Acts. Think of it like Luke part one and Luke part two. He says in Acts uh, 1, verse 8, uh, these are the words of Jesus himself, saying that you shall be, or you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. John 20, 21 through 23, and this is where we're going to hang out today. It should be fairly quick. Verse 21, it says, again, he said, talking about Jesus, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's two frustrating misconceptions that I want to address when we talk about preaching the gospel. Sharing the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Um, because I, I, I can get here. This, this message could very much just come across like, you haven't told enough people about Jesus, and you suck. Stop it. Go tell the first, like, ten people that you see about Jesus. That's not what I'm trying to get at, friends. Um, and, in fact, uh, I don't have enough time in one message this morning to really get into the depths of what exactly is this good news about Jesus. Um, but I'm excited to. Um, and it's going to be fun, and we're going to go on a little journey together, if that's okay. But there are two frustrating misconceptions that I have that I want to address. Uh, the first of which is this common phrase 
um, this common saying that I've heard uh, a number of times. It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It's to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Uh, how many of you guys have heard that? Right? How many of you guys think that's good? Ooh, it was a trick question. It, it's good. You should always be preaching the gospel with the life that you live. But it's also frustrating to me because it carries this connotation that if you're just nice, like if you're a genuinely like good, nice person, that somehow your neighbor down the street is just going to come to the realization that he needs Jesus and that he's, uh, he's living in sin and that maybe there's a God that loves him and uh, died for his sins and wants to see him transformed. Um, and I want you to understand that kind of passivity with the gospel is not okay. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi was actually a preacher. He actually preached. He, he spoke words about Jesus. And while very much uh, we, we care about the way that you live, we care about demonstrating Jesus changing your life in your day-to-day -day activity, that's important. That's the heartbeat of what that's saying. It doesn't excuse us or doesn't preclude us from actually sharing the gospel with words. Um, so one, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, we don't have any kind of uh, record of him ever saying that. Um, I, don't think, uh, I don't think that he did. <laughs> um, and it's been replaced with this idea of lifestyle evangelism, which in essence, we 100% want you to live like Jesus changed you because that backs up what you say. But there's still this important aspect of you sharing the gospel that involves you actually talking about Jesus. I realize that's simple. I realize that's uh, elementary and we should understand that. But there is this notion that is existing in church culture that if you're just a nice enough person, somehow people are going to see, oh, there's something different about you. Please tell me about Jesus, um, which I have not seen uh, work extremely well. And in fact, it undermines Scripture. It undermines what Paul would say in Romans uh, 10, verses 14 and 15. He says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? This is the idea of actually telling people about Jesus, which I understand steps on toes, which is... Uh, invasive. But the gospel, my friends, is offensive to the flesh. We're worried about offending people's religious beliefs. We're worried about offending people's culture. But that's the heartbeat of the entirety of the gospel is one of offending our fleshly nature and making us more like Jesus. So anyway, uh, I wanted to identify that one misconception about lifestyle evangelism. So you might describe it of just living good and hoping that people kind of ask you about Jesus or come to the conclusion that God's good just because you're a nice person, uh, that does not preclude us from actually preaching the gospel. Then there's this kind of uh, associated interpretation of Matthew 28, verse 19, that we've talked about. Um, and we just read Matthew 28, uh, 18 and 19, that command of, therefore, go and make disciples. Um, and it goes something like this. In the Greek, 
Uh, the word translated go is really a participle, and it literally means as you are going. Um, but the words make disciple, they're an imperative in the Greek. And so then, therefore, the only imperative in the two verses is uh, make disciples, not really go. And so, therefore, the Great Commission uh, really just means as you are going, um, then really focus in on make disciples. Has anybody ever heard this kind of line of thought? Maybe, okay, maybe I'm, I've heard it a number of times, but there's this thought that um, if to read this, to go and make disciples doesn't actually mean go and make disciples. It means as you are going, make disciples everywhere that you are. And that sentiment, while good, while nice, um, boils down the Great Commission, not in a command to go, um, but basically just while you're doing life, make disciples along the way, which it's a rationale that attempts to solve the conscience of the church. I believe it's this kind of line of thinking that tries to appease us in the fact just while we're doing life, we make disciples uh, with the people around us, and it actually excuses us from not being intentional about the gospel. This is something, friends, that I think we're, dan- we're in danger of probably, not probably, we are in danger of this. We fall into the line of thinking that just as we do life, as we go about the day by day, we're going to kind of just make disciples in our natural circle of influence and we're going to make a, an impact for Jesus. And it releases us from the responsibility of being intentional about preaching Jesus. And I'm not okay with that, friends. There is an explicit command for us to go and make disciples. And yes, I do believe while we're living life, while we're doing the day-to-day things, we should represent Jesus well. There should be an overflow. There should be an aspect about our character that influences the people around us. Yes, but that can't fall as an excuse for us to not take the command of Jesus literally and actually be intentional about preaching the gospel and making disciples. This idea of therefore go actually means, if we break down the Greek and we go through it all, uh, go. (laughs) It actually means go and make disciples. Now that doesn't mean you need to go get on an airplane. You don't have to come to Kenya with me. We don't have to go like to some kind of foreign mission field in order to do this. But it does mean we need to be intentional about the responsibility that Jesus gave us to preach the gospel and make disciples disciples. One of the coolest, one of, uh, one of my favorite things to talk about in scripture is the fact that when Jesus prays for laborers to be sent forth into the harvest in Matthew chapter 9, he uses this word called ekbalo. And he's praying, he's literally praying that laborers, that men and women, uh, followers of Jesus would be sent, would be thrust forth into the earth to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It's this same word, ekbalo, to send, that he uses when he casts out demons. It's got full weight and authority. And I want you to think about this. Jesus issues commands here. 
He issues this command in Matthew chapter 28 to therefore go and make disciples. It's right after verse 18 where he says, Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. We're not just talking to a good rabbi. We're not just talking to this kind of like smart dude. We're not just talking to this religious leader. We're talking to the God of all the universe. He's the one that created the mountains and created the ocean and with authority spoke forth light. He's the one that drives out demons and says, go, and they leave. And he's the same one that says, go, (laughs) And make disciples, and we say, yeah, maybe not today. I'm just kind of working on myself right now. And we respond to Jesus, our response to Jesus with anything less than a yes is a, is a failed response, friends. It's inappropriate. And I, I get what I'm saying here. You may feel like I'm beating this dead horse. Okay, we get it. Jesus told us to go. He told us to preach the gospel. He told us to make disciples. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> but I want to read uh, John 20, 21 through 23 again. Or just 21 and 22. That's good for us today. It says, and again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that the mission of followers of Jesus, that we are being sent, that we are being commissioned. We're being commissioned into the culture. We're being commissioned into our everyday life, but it's with a purpose. And I want us to walk with intentionality, with mission, with resolve to understand that we're in this place we're, we're in the workplace, we're, we're in the grocery store, we're in Pagosa Springs to make a difference, and that, that difference, we, we ought to be preaching the gospel uh, everywhere we go. <laughs> I believe that we should be making disciples everywhere we go, and it's important that we do so intentionally, not just kind of falling by the wayside, not just thinking that it's going to happen naturally because we're around, but we have to be intentional about opening up our mouths and actually talking about Jesus. My first point out of uh, John uh, 20, here 21 and 22 is looking at the one that is sending us. It's Jesus that is commissioning us. It's Jesus that is sending us. It's not your church. It's not Open Door Church. It's not me as your pastor but it's Jesus. He's the one that holds the authority. He's the one that says, I have all the authority and behold, I'm sending you in the same way that the Father has sent me. It's in the same vein. It's in that same mesh. It's in that same, uh, it's in that same, um, our mission is the same as Jesus' mission. If you were to define Jesus' mission, if you ask the reason why he came, He breaks it down for you in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says that he came to seek and save the lost. Friends, we have a responsibility uh, to partner with Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. This isn't to make Pastor Nate happy. This isn't just to kind of chalk it up on your Christian duty. I believe that the heartbeat of Jesus is for the lost. And then, therefore, if we're partnered with Jesus, 
that should be reflective in our everyday actions. Number two, uh, I would say the second thing that I really want to highlight here and pull out is the importance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's a necessity here. Jesus doesn't just kind of pause here and say, behold, I'm sending you uh, in the same way that the Father has sent me. He recognizes that it's not something that is able to be accomplished just in human effort. It's not something that's going to transpire. It's not something that's going to happen just because Jesus told them to. It has to be married and coupled with the, with the, with the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we read in Acts chapter 1-8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. There is this understanding that we need supernatural enabling from God who gives generously if we're going to see this thing through um, and, and actually happen, if we're going to see the gospel go forth. The, this is really where I wanted to talk about, friends, and if I, if I could uh, really highlight this this morning, is I believe that preaching the gospel, of sharing the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, of how he saves, is a personal responsibility that is often neglected because we think somebody else will do it. We think somebody else is better qualified. We think somebody else probably has their act together just a little bit more, and so it'll be better received. And so we just kind of sit by the wayside, and when that happens, nobody actually preaches the gospel. Because I, I want to I wanna let you know, I don't think anyone here is like perfectly like without sin, you've never messed up and you'll never do it again kind of a deal and you've just got the Christianity thing all figured out because you prayed a prayer. And like, I understand, we're broken. We have, we have faults, we have shortcomings. But God's grace and his spirit's bigger than that and he wants to use you as an instrument to preach the gospel. My friend Daniel had this uh, sign that was up on his door and when I was uh, driving back and forth to Pueblo all the time to try to get Kelly's attention, uh, <laughs> I would stay on his floor, and we'd get up early in the morning together and pray. And he had this, uh, he had this sign that he had written out that he'd put up on his mirror that I would get ready like before I went on this hot date or we just went and tried to get Kelly's attention. Uh, there, would be a, there would be this sign, and he had written out in Sharpie, Uh, this quote from Leonard Ravenhill that this generation of preachers is responsible for this generation of sinners. That may sound extreme. That may sound harsh. That may sound like that's not okay. Like that's unfair to carry that weight, all those things. But the notion that really stuck out to me from that quote is that there is some personal responsibility that we must take in carrying the call of the gospel if we're ever going to take it seriously. I think about what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says this, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is, is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
He would go on in Acts 20, 26 through 27. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He goes on in verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I read these things that Paul, Paul talks about. He has a deeply profound personal responsibility to carry the gospel and share the message of Jesus that drives him to plead with men night and day for three years with tears in his eyes that they might know Jesus. This is uncomfortable for everybody, right? This is not just something that comes naturally, but I do believe that we need to have a burden from the Lord to actually carry this message. I read some pretty sobering statistics as I was just thinking about this and how I was going to compile it. There was a poll that was conducted 10 years ago in 2011. How is 2011 10 years ago? Somebody please explain that to me. I feel like that was yesterday, (laughs) not 10 years ago. But this was kind of the most recent poll that I could find that really helped me understand the numbers. And it was, created, uh, it was created in association with Barna and uh, Ed Stetzer, who's like this church sociologist, uh, missionologist. Anyway, uh, anyway, they did this survey. And uh, this study was conducted 10 years ago, and it was of active church members. And I've got to be very honest with you. Their definition of an active church member was that you have showed up to church at least once in the last 30 days. Um, I would think that Jesus probably has a different definition of what an active church member looks like, and it's well beyond just attendance. Please understand that. But anyway, these were from active churchgoers, if you will. 43% of them say they feel a personal responsibility to share their faith about Jesus with non-Christians. I need you to, I need you to, think this. This is what they said. 43% felt a personal responsibility to share their faith about Jesus. I don't understand how that number is not 100%, but uh, 43%, which is still a pretty good number in comparison to some of the other statistics that we were looking at. So like 43 out of 100 people felt like they had a personal responsibility to share Jesus with somebody else, with a non-Christian. But when these people were asked uh, how many times they shared someone, uh, shared with someone how to become a Christian, over 80% of them uh, said zero. (laughs) These are of the people that actually said that, yes, we should share our faith. 80% of 43% said zero, and about 10% said that they had shared at least with one person in the past six months. These these numbers are from 2011. And I think if I were going to pose the question to us today, uh, in, in relation to how many people we know that do not know Jesus, do not have a relationship with Jesus, if we were just gonna be like, just kind of try to like, hypothetically weigh a scale here of how many people we know that do not know the Lord and how many people we've actually shared the gospel with, 
I believe it would be drastically disproportionate if I'm just being honest. And I'm saying this to myself because, friends, I don't count preaching the gospel what I do here on Sunday morning when I'm trying to encourage and admonish the church. I realize, friends, that, 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 that this doesn't cut it. And I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at my life. Man, I feel an urge. I feel a compelling of the Holy Spirit to take the message of the gospel seriously in sharing it with those that desperately need it. Do you guys all feel bad yet? Feel good and bad about not sharing the gospel? That's not what I'm trying to do. I do want us to look at the commands of Jesus. I do want us to understand the weight of what Jesus is asking. But I don't want us to all just rush out of here and say, Pastor Nate told me I need to preach the gospel, so I'm going to go tell everybody I know that they're going to hell unless they accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and have them pray this prayer. There's so much more to the message of the gospel. It said that Jesus was announcing the good news of the kingdom. The message of the gospel is more than just getting out of hell free. It's an invitation into life and life abundantly with Jesus. And, and there's, there's so much more to this that we're going to have to unpack on what exactly it means to share the gospel with somebody I'm not going to give you like 16 points of how to effectively like win your neighbor to Jesus. But I do want us to be burdened by the word of the Lord and by his spirit that we would take his call, that we would take his commission seriously. Because there are people, we're living in a real world that is without hope. I should have looked up like how many people die every day without knowing about Jesus. And that would probably be like a really startling, motivating statistic for you right now. But the reality of it is, is that there are people that we work with. There are people that we shop with. There are people that live next to us that need Jesus. That they need the hope that we have supposedly found. If you're calling this your, your home and you're, you're, you're being active in church here. And that's got to come not because Pastor Nate told you, you guys suck and you need to preach the gospel. That has to come by the Holy Spirit moving upon your heart, motivating you, encouraging you, burdening you with his same heartbeat that lost people might know Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www opendoorpagosa.com Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.